All right. Good evening. Very good. I was, oh, 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 I know what it was. I was going to tell y'all, I'm in an observation. I had to go back and get my microphone. And I think, like, out of this crowd tonight, like 14 people have read on. Oh, I can count Ben. 15 people have read on. What does that mean? I have no idea. I just thought it was a good observation to make while I was walking back up here. That's all. That's all I know. Okay, very good. Hey, we want to, in a, in, a, in a different way, in a backdoor way, kind of continue our thought from this morning. And I really, I told Judy, I said, you know, God gave me the Peter Pan analogy this morning, like about 5.30, and uh, I really didn't have it written down. I said, wow, that, you know, it really works. And it really does. It really does. So many Christians, again, are happy in Never Never Land and never want to go further than that. They reach their destination and they realize that they are on a journey. And I told you, and I don't know the rest of the words, and somebody made a, 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 a very good observation, was that, what was the first Peter Pan girl? Something Martin. Mary Martin. You know, no wonder she didn't want to be a man. <laughs> huh. Anyway, anyway. So, so Peter Pan, you know, says, I, you know, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to be a man. And, and here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know, the reason Peter Pan didn't want to grow up is because I don't want to grow up. I don't want to be a man. And, and the, the thing that I want you to see tonight, and as we tie this in, by the cute, a cute title for the sermon, The Lion Ain't King. You know, remember, oh, you know, I was going to like, I was going to download the trailer, but I couldn't find a good one. But, you know, the Lion King, and I want to teach you tonight that the Lion's not king. Okay, but here's the deal in the idea and the concept of Peter Pan and what causes us to stop and what to be weary of in our Christian walk. It's not necessarily the big things. Remember, I told you, you're going to hear this so much over and over again until you'll go, I think I'm starting to believe it. You know, sin is not our master. And, and so many of us, particularly our Sunday night crowd, we think about, you know, I, well, I don't wrestle with that adultery thing. I just, it's just a mess with me. But, you know, I think probably for 12 years I've taught you something. That for, for a lot of Christians, it's not the atomic bombs. Okay? It's not the atomic bombs. It's those little foxes that continue to visit and eat the grapes off our vine that really messes us up. In the case of Peter Pan, again, if you follow that analogy, I don't want to grow up, um, I don't want to be a man, that word I signifies a word, and it is pride. And one of the things that, that we need to be leery of as, as believers on a journey and not a destination is that we are secondary, and Christ is first, and others are before us. And so we have to be weary of pride. So if you will take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Peter 5, 5. 1 Peter 5, 5, the whole topic tonight deals with dealing with pride in our life, okay? With hopefully a different twist on a couple of things that you haven't seen before, all right? 1 Peter chapter uh, 5 and verse number 5. Now, once again, we have this, this connector. It's not a therefore, but it's kind of like a therefore because he says, in the same way. And I really had to look and I say, okay, Peter, why are, you, why are you wanting in the same way? Because it's really not obvious. But I, but I think if you'll look up to, look in the previous chapter, chapter 4. Uh, but, I mean, hang on just a second. No, not chapter 4. Go to chapter uh, 5, verse 4, okay? Actually, let's go to 3 even. It says, not, nor as being lords, this is 5.3, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So he's saying that if you are an under-shepherd or if you're an elder and you're a leader, you shouldn't be one who puts the heavy hand, who puts pressure on your flock, but rather you should be the kind of leader that leads by example. Okay, So that ties in with the thought of what he's fixing to say about humility. So he says, 
in the same way, you younger men be subject to the elders. So he's saying that as, as we have elders in the church, and there's a great debate whether he's talking about elders as in the position of elders, or if he's talking about older people. I, I think I would side probably with the elders and the elders, because most elders are older people, that, that we younger people, including myself, still for a few more years, is that, that we should be willing to submit those who are elder to us, who are older than us, okay? So he's saying, just like a, a shepherd should not be one who uses the heavy hand on his flock, so young people should be willing to submit willingly in humility to those who are older than him. And then he really launches into something big. He says this, And all of you clothe yourselves with humility. Now, he really brings this out. You know, humility is a two-way street. Younger should submit to the elder. Now, let's, can we just be candid? Most of the time... Older people do things a little bit different than younger people. I mean, generally speaking, elderly people prefer a different kind of music. Really, probably, they're not exactly on the cutting edge of fashion, usually. Okay? They just do things a little bit differently. And young people need to understand that old people are not, older people are not just exactly like them. I mean, come on, you gray-haired folks. You'd be going, that's right. They need to be learning that. I've been, amen, preacher. I've been waiting for you to preach that. Amen. That's right. And that's cool. But notice what he says, and all of you clothe yourselves in humility, which means not only should the young people understand that, that older folks may do business a little bit different, older folks need to understand that young people do business a little bit differently. See, see, the problem in the church is, one of the problems in the church is, is that we have the pride thing that says, I'm right. It's my way or the highway. It's my translation. It's my style of music. It's the way I dress. Or we can't just have fellowship together. And that's not true. In fact, Peter says that all of you are to clothe yourselves with humility. Have you ever thought about this? Y'all, you men especially, y'all know that verse in Ephesians chapter 5 where he says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And all women go, yeah, that's right. But, but what we forget is, we forget that right before he says that, he says, all of you submit yourselves one to another. In other words, before he says, talks to the wives, he says the whole group, the whole body of Christ should learn to submit one to another. And again, if you know that scripture, women do it by showing respect to their husbands. That's what the word submit means. It means to respect your husband. And guys, you show submission to your wife by willing to be loving her just like Christ died for the church and willing to die for her. That's a great kind of submission also. So here he says the same thing. All of you, whether you count yourself in the older group or the younger group, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. Now, that word clothe literally means to put on. To clothe yourself. I was going to try to impress you with one more Greek word today, but it had way too many letters. I mean, that sucker was that long. I just couldn't, I couldn't pull it off, okay? But, but here's what it means. Where he says there, clothe yourselves with humility, it literally means, now watch, this is good. Literally from the Greek, it means to put on the apron. To put on the apron. Now, now guys, don't think the apron your wife wears. But it is the apron of the servant. It's the apron of the servant. So he says we're to clothe ourselves or yourselves with humility. We are to dress down, dress down for service. We are to clothe ourselves with this spirit of humility. And um, in Philippians chapter 2, here's what it says. Do nothing, this is verse 3 through 5. 
Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, watch, consider others as more important than yourselves. Now, don't brush that away. How often do we think of others more important? In other words, how, would we be willing to say this? You know, I, I don't necessarily think that you should wear jeans on Sunday. Okay? I think, I think you should wear your best on Sunday. Well, let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to step back from that if a visitor off the street would be comfortable coming in jeans? Would you be comfortable with that? You know, I, 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 don't, I think maybe, I don't necessarily agree that maybe there should be drums in church. Okay, uh, okay I get that. So, so, but would you want, be willing to step back from that if a, if a person could come in and that was something they could worship with? See, that's what it means when he says, consider others as more important than yourselves. You're, you're willing to step back from what you want so that others can have what they need. Does that make sense? It's huge. And by the way, it's biblical because this is Philippians. This is written by Paul to, to the church at Philippi and to us. Okay? He goes on and says this. Everyone should, not, should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus. Now, let me see. how many times? Let's do a little survey. How many times did Jesus say, I'm the most important? How many times did Jesus say, it's my way or the highway? How many times did Jesus say, you know, I, come on, come on, I created this mess like hey, He didn't, did He? In fact, if you read that Philippians chapter 2 passage where it says, make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, He goes on and shows how He humbled Himself even to death, the death of the cross. And we're to have that kind of attitude. So when, when Peter says, you know, you're to clothe yourself with this humility, that's exactly what he's talking about. Now, can you think of another scripture where it just shouts at us about servanthood? About putting on the apron? How about John 13? We use it and use it. Can we visit it tonight? Go to John chapter 13. Let me read the first two verses, then we'll, we'll slow down and talk a little bit. While you're finding it. John chapter 13, verse number 1. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now by the time of supper, the David, the David, the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Now, 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 verse 3 is where we've got to pause. Okay? There is so much power in verse 3. Jesus knew... That the Father had given everything, in, everything into his hands. That he had come from God. And that he was going back to God. Jesus knew that everything came from his Father. That he had come from God. And was going back to God. Now let me just, before we read any further. Let me put something in your ear. Okay? If you, if you will come to the realization. Now listen, listen. If you will come to the realization that God puts everything in your hands, that everything you are, every talent, every ability, every dollar, wherever you are in life, that God puts everything in your hands and that you really have come from God. But more importantly, you're going to God. You can do anything. Come on, in kingdom, you can. Because the, the creator of the universe is fixing to go on his hands and knees and wash some guy's feet. Have you ever wondered how he could do that? How could Jehovah Creator God, strapped in the human body, get down and wash some guy's feet? Because he knew all things came from God, his Father. He knew that he was come from God. He knew he's fixing to go back from God. 
What you know determines what you can do. You can, you can be kind to those mean people to you. You can be forgiving to those who don't forgive, deserve forgiveness. You, you can offer hope to people who really don't deserve any hope. You can do all of that if you realize it all comes from God. Everything you are will come from God, that you came from God, and that you're going back to God. You, you can do anything, and that's what Jesus does. The Bible says, so he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied around himself. Guess what that is? Servant's apron. The creator of the universe put on a servant's apron. Next, he poured water with a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. That's humility. That's humility. And that is what Peter's talking about now back in 1 Peter chapter 5. In the same way, you younger, be subject to the elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Now, there's a reason why. Because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, this is a quote from Proverbs 3.34 that Peter uses. Now, if you come on Wednesday night, you've heard this pretty recently. So, but on Sunday night, you may not have heard it, perhaps not on Sunday morning. Okay, But that word resist means oppose. So God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so, now watch this. Does God oppose adultery? Yeah. Does God oppose pornography? Yeah. How about some addictions? Should we do drugs? Should we do alcohol? Uh, television? <laughs> oppose, addiction? addiction. No, not, not just television. An addiction to television? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we don't think often about pride, do we? And so what that means is, is that when we are prideful, we're going in one direction and God's going in another. And this is something where we would never commit adultery. All of us, to one degree or another, deal with pride. Because all of us, at one time or another, says, it's my way or the highway. We stomp our foot and say, I want this. And we don't get that, we have a temper tantrum. Am I right? We do it in family, we do it in church, we do it in life. And you need to understand, you need to burn in your heart that God is opposed to pride. Pride is one of those things, I think pride and lying are two things that God just really doesn't like. Okay, a lot of them, but I think those are big things. God is really opposed to pride, really opposed, opposed to lying. Lying is the language of Satan, and pride is the life of Satan. And he's opposed to both of them. Okay? So now he goes a step further. He says this. Verse number six. Humble yourselves. How? What? How does that look? Therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Um, Submit yourself under the mighty hand of God. Surrender. Come on. You've got to get this. Surrender yourself. Under the mighty hand of God. Now, what that means is, young, young, we're so glad to have young people. They lower the average. You know, without you guys, the average age on a Sunday night goes way up. You bring it down. We're glad you're here tonight. Okay, amen? We're glad they're here, right? How cool is that? Okay, so, so here's the deal. So, so when, we, when we allow ourselves to be humbled in the mighty hand of God, okay, then that simply means we're submitting to God. What areas, come on now, what areas are not submitted? What areas of your life are not submitted to God? What areas have you not surrendered to God? Now, I promise you this. 
I don't care if you go to church three times a week and you do your quiet time and you write a nice check to the church. I bet you seven to Oh, did I say bet? I would suppose, I would suppose that, that somewhere in there, you're going to find some areas that you go, you know what, I've not surrendered that to God. I've got a relationship I've not surrendered. I've got a habit I've not surrendered. I've got an attitude I haven't surrendered. I've got some hurt I haven't surrendered. I've got some wounds I haven't surrendered. And, and so Peter says, listen, Peter says, humble yourself, submit yourself under the hand of God. You don't want to know why? Jeremy, you want to know why? Because he's God and you're not. He's God and you're not. He's the creator and you're not. He's the creator and you're the created. Humble yourself. Now, if you're a note taker, this would be a good place to run. Satan would have it another way. Satan, now, now this is when he starts really, he starts subliminally handling Satan into this. Because Satan is an agent of pride. Okay? So, so he starts saying, Satan would be opposed to this. Satan does not want you to humble yourselves um, under the mighty hand of God. You know why? Isaiah chapter 14, verse number 12 and 13. Talk about Satan. You have said, I, remember Peter Pan, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to be a man. I don't want to grow up in Jesus. I'm comfortable where I am. I'm going to heaven. That's all that matters. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly in the most parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Satan was an I person. I, 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 I. I'm telling you, when you find yourself in your conversations, and I'm not talking about, not talking about I went to the ball game. But when you find yourself constantly in your realm saying, I want, I gotta have, I deserve. Danger, Will Robinson. That's pride. And you know this, but it's cute. What's the center letter of pride? I. What's the center, center letter of sin? Hmm, how interesting. How interesting. So, so Satan would have this not this way because he wants, first, there are two things he wants. He wants Peter Pan's. And he wants Peter Pan's full of pride. He wants Peter Pan's. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming to my destination. I'm not going to grow anymore. Don't need to grow anymore. And then secondly, he wants them to be people of pride. I, I, I. My way or the highway. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So that he may exalt you at the proper time. There's coming a time for the faithful believer to be exalted. Come on now, you should like this. Ooh, 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 ooh. This is good stuff. There's coming a time when you'll be exalted. And it's a place called heaven. Amen? It's a place called heaven. Now, now here's, the, cool. here's the deal. You remember the story of Jericho and Ai? Okay. God says, okay, Joshua, I want you to march around seven times, seven days. On seven times, you'll march seven days. The walls are going to fall down. And everything in Jericho, say, please say everything. Does that mean everything? Okay. Everything in Jericho is to be devoted to me. The people, the animals, the gold, the silver, the cloth, all of it goes to me. Okay. It happened except for one guy, okay, Achan, who decided that he would keep some, some gold in a garment. Okay. And he bears it in his tent. And so the children of Israel go to another town called Ai, which was a lot smaller. Okay? And guess what? They get whooped. They get whooped. 
And so Joshua's down, oh no, what's wrong? I don't understand why it happened this way. And God said, get up. There's sin in the camp. There's some Peter Pans floating around somewhere. There's a little bit of pride going on. Because see, Achan said, I deserve this. So they sort it down and it comes down to Achan. They take him, his family, his children, his oxen, his cattle, everything, and they stone him. And they cover him up with rocks. And you say, why are you telling the story? Because of what comes next. Then God says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Here's the plan of attack. I want you to attack AI this way. Oh, 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 oh. And by the way, all the booty is yours. Everything in AI, I'm giving it to you. Jericho belonged to God. AI was given to the people. Do you think if Achan, I don't know, but do you think if Achan knew that AI was coming, he'd left Jericho alone? Good possibility. Okay. You can have pride, and you can have your stuff here, and you can have life here, and you can have power here, and you can have all that here, or you can wait to a place called heaven. And God is going to exalt you in a place called heaven. If you're faithful here, obeying God, there's going to be a reward in a place called heaven. You can have Jericho, which results in death, or you can have heaven, which results in life. Which one do you want? Now, guys, this is true. This is true. This is true. So that I challenge you to go home and evaluate where you are with that. Okay? Are you willing to give up here that you can have there? Because, because, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that He may exalt you at the proper time. And then, He gives us a little tidbit for here, casting all your care on Him because He cares about you. When, when it seems like you're being deprived, when it seems like He has and you don't, when it seems like things aren't going your way, you serve for God, you didn't get the pay raise, or, or your, your family deserted you, or your mom and dad said you can't, or, or, or your husband said he wouldn't, or you said you wouldn't. Casting all your care upon Him because He cares about you. God, look at me, God cares about you. Don't you dare make a mistake. Whether it's a 20-week-old stillborn baby that we're burying or a 19-year-old young woman, God cares about you. And Satan don't want you to know that. He wants you to think, come on, get that pride up. Come on, you're the one who matters. Come on. He don't want you to know that when we humble ourselves to God, that He's going to exalt us in due time, and that He cares about us. And that leads into that discussion. I love this. This is a truth that God gave me a while back, and I remember when it came, and I've taught it, I think I taught it on a Sunday night, I believe, but it's a wonderful truth. Here's what He says in verse number 8. Be serious. Uh, you know what that means? It means be serious. Well, the old one says sober-minded. I think King James says sober Be sober. Be vigilant. I think it's King James. Okay, be sober. But serious means be serious. To take this seriously. To take what your pastor's speaking tonight about pride seriously. To take what pastor's saying about being a Peter Pan and being in a destination rather than a journey. Take that serious. Be serious 
Be on alert. Why? Your adversary, not your friend, not your buddy, the guy who will promise you the world and give you hell. Amen? Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Now, here's the great truth. I mean, it really is a powerful truth, I think. Okay? Now, he's looking to devour people. Now, normally when we think about... Uh, Chris, when we think about devouring, what do you, what do you kind of think? Have you all seen those National Graphic specials? Yeah, yeah, they, and they get the antelope, and there's blood everywhere, you know, and the lion's got like blood all over his face, you know, and he's just pulling the, the muscle tissue and all that. That's kind of what we think about. But how many times, how many times have you watched those shows? Has anybody watched those shows? Okay, cool, okay, okay. How many times have you watched those shows? And you see a lion stalking an antelope. You got that picture? And the lion's going, Roar! Roar! How many times do you see that? You don't, do you? Because when the lion roars, the antelope says, the antelope says see you later. But notice what the Scripture says. The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. So I don't think the picture here is traditional stalking as of a prey. I think... I think Satan has another way. Um, Paul said we're not ignorant of his devices. Okay? Now, I'm sure there are more than two, but there are two reasons a lion roars. Okay? One is territory. He's declaring his territory. So when a lion senses another lion coming, a male lion, he roars and says, get out of here, I'm the alpha male. Okay? I think the reason he says roaring lion is because Satan is trying to claim territory that is not his to claim. I mean, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's all, Satan has been boasting when he told Jesus, when he tempted Jesus, look around, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. They weren't his to give. And this alpha male wannabe is claiming that I have all this power and if all power belongs to Christ... Satan has no power. I mean, this is powerful. So when you hear the roaring of the lion, remember he's declaring his territory, and his territory he doesn't have to claim. He is a defeated foe. I will, I will build my church, Jesus said. And the gates, not, not the spears and not the arrows, but the defenses of hell will not be able to stop. The church spends way too much time on defense and not enough time on offense. Because Satan is a defeated foe by the power of Christ. The, <laughs> this is a little sensitive. But another reason why a lion roars is for mating. I mean, you know, here's, here's Miss Feline Lion, you know, sitting there. And then all of a sudden, she hears from over here the alpha male going, Roar! She goes, Hello, big boy. Okay? Now listen. Another way Satan devours by claiming something that's not his, and you believe in it, Satan devours by courting you. Okay? So we're there, and he roars, and he makes it sound, you know, so enticing. It's kind of like the Lion King movie. Scar was the alpha wannabe, not the real king. And he, he roars, and Christians, 
He makes sin sound so enticing. He says, if, if God really cared about you, wouldn't you be going through this? Come on, Jeremy. If, if God really loved you, wouldn't you be building 17 barbecue bars because business is so good? Dave, wouldn't you have to hire eight staff members because you can't, sell, you can't keep up with all the insurance you're selling? If God really loved you, there would be no failure. There would be no hard times. If God really loved you, roar! You just got to remember who's doing the roaring. Jesus said that Satan is a liar and the father of it. So the next time Satan roars at you, devouring you through love talk, enticing talk, and he goes, roar, you look back and say, sorry, bud, I'm already taken. I don't belong... I don't belong to Scar. I belong to the real king. <laughs> and why? And why would you want to be some belong to some king wanna be when you can belong to the real king? Woo! Come on! Yeah! Come on! We belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Don't settle for some wannabe. Don't go back to some wannabe. Go to who you belong to. The one who died for you. The one who suffered for you. So he says, your adversary, the devil, prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. And, and Peter simply says, resist him. Withstand him. You can't, Christ can. You can't, Christ can. Resist him. Be firm in the faith. Now, this is not a good analogy. I'm just sure of it. Especially since I don't know what I'm talking about. Don't you worry when the preacher says something like that. But you know, I, I like football. But, and I know they carry the ball from one in the field to the other. And you get six points. And then you kick a field goal and you get seven. If you get close, you can kick a field goal and get three points. I understand all that. But all the tackles and who does what, I don't understand. So I can't really use this well. But, but you remember the movie Blindside? Yeah. Yeah, was, I, who was the quarterback? you remember, David, that, that his leg broke at the beginning of the movie? Well, anyway, a, quarter, a real famous quarterback got his leg broke, okay? And it showed in slow motion. And you can actually see his lower leg just going crunch. Just, who? Joe Theismann, okay. Just crunch. And, man, that was, like, devastating because he was, like, one of the number one quarterbacks. And so the left tackle, I, do know, I looked this up so I know this, the, they developed the position of the left tackle. It became a more important position because the left tackle, while the quarterback is doing this, and he's got his blind side, okay, the left tackle's job is to protect the quarterback, okay, to keep him from getting his leg broke. And Michael Lohr in the movie became famous because he became a great left tackle, all right? He's a defender. Well, listen, and when it comes to fighting Satan, just for this one illustration tonight, you're the quarterback. Jesus shall always be your quarterback but tonight you're the quarterback. If you try to take on Satan, the, the, the defensive line, as a quarterback, you're going to get eaten. But you've got a left tackle. I told you it wasn't perfect. You've got a left tackle, and he's a lot bigger than Michael Orr. He is Jesus Christ. Don't go on the field without your left tackle, because you're going to get your leg broke. Resist him. Be firm in the faith. Don't be firm in who you are. 
Don't think you can take on Satan on your own. You can't. But you can be firm. You can resist him and be firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings, this is so good, are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. You're not alone. You're not alone on the field. Sometimes, again, Satan will say, you're the only one suffering. You're the only one who's, who's going through this right now. And you're not. The same temptations are felt by your brothers and sisters. The same sufferings are felt by your brothers and sisters. And there's strength and power in knowing that I am not alone. Amen? I am not alone. He says this up. Finishes it up. Now, the God of all grace. And I know I'm, I'm probably reading into this. It's kind of like I said when Brent, Brent if, if, if I've got all your money, how much do you have? None. If, if Christ has all authority, how much does Satan have? None. None. If all grace belongs to God, does anybody else have any more? No, it all belongs to God. The God of all grace. The God of all unmerited favor. Who called you, invited you, drew you to His eternal glory in Christ Jesus. Because of Christ Jesus. Will, I like this word, will personally restore. And, and it carries the connotation in the Greece of, a Greek of repairing something that's damaged. He will restore. See, God can fix what you can't fix. And God can restore what you can't restore. And, and just for freebie, past failure does not indicate future failure. Just because you failed yesterday doesn't mean you're going to fail tomorrow. Now, Satan will tell you that, won't he? He'll tell you. you. You did it last week, you're going to do it again. He's a liar. He's a liar. So, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ Jesus will personally restore. He'll establish you. He'll strengthen. And He will support you after you have suffered a little. Again, we're going to talk about it next week. But the concept that once you become a Christian, you never suffer, simply is not biblical. Now, we've bought it in Western culture. You get saved, and life is a happy day. You will suffer. You will have difficulties. You will have tribulation. Jesus himself said that. But, would y'all, y'all need to write this verse down. That one who called you, that one who saved you in Christ, will personally restore, establish, and strengthen, and support you, after you suffered a while. And all dominion, all power, all authority belongs to him forever. And Peter and the people of God said, Amen and Amen. So, so we're going we're gonna to drop the Peter Pan. Um, we're going to move on. We're not, not going to be happy at our destination. You know, I, I've been a Christian for 36 years. And I'm, I'm not going to camp. You know, and I don't know how long you've been saved, but I hope you make a commitment saying, I'm not going to camp. I, I'm not on, I'm not, I didn't come to a destination. I'm on a journey. And that journey will end the day this heart quits beating. But until then, I'm on a journey with Jesus Christ. And I'm growing up in Christ, letting Christ work in me, becoming more like my Savior. I'm doing there. And, and because I go to church all the time, I may not be subject to those big, big nuclear bomb things. But my pastor taught me tonight, and the Word of God declared tonight, that you better be careful of things like pride. Like, I've got to have my way. Boy, does that affect your marriage? Yeah. 
When a wife says or a husband says, I've got to have it my way or the highway, yeah. Does it affect you as a parent? Yeah. Does it affect the church? Yeah, it really does. So, so we learned tonight that pride is something that really we've got to be leery of. And that the biggest cheerleader for pride is who? Satan. It's Satan. And he's a roaring lion, okay, and he comes declaring territory is not his and wanting you to entice you to follow him. Okay? But we don't have to because we can resist him and stand firm in the faith because Jesus is our left tackle. He's our great defender. And that God will, he's called us in Christ, he'll restore us and establish and support us. And that's pretty encouraging. Amen? It really is. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Well, thanks, Father. It's been a really uh, good day in your house. We thank you for Mary's recommitment this morning and for Michelle coming for membership, for prayers that were offered, <coughs> for decisions um, that were made in the pews. God, thank you for teaching us from your word. And, Fathers, we continue this journey together um, for the next 46 weeks or so. May we come to the end of the year and be a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Father, may we be a people willing to share our faith because of the impact. In fact, may the impact of you in our lives grow to such a point that we'll be almost forced to share our faith because we cannot keep it quiet. I pray for that. Father, I ask that you'll shake our comfort zones. Father, that we understand that wherever we think we've camped and that's our destination, that we're, we're settled there, that you'll unsettle us and lead us, Father, to a higher plane uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray for that. Um, I pray, Father, um, for tonight. I do not know if any decisions are going to be made, but of course you do. And so if there's something that needs to be settled tonight, if there's any unfinished business in this day, I pray, Father, that we'll deal with that uh, at the altar and our altar's there. And then, Father, as we leave this place in a few moments, that we'll also go uh, prepared and ready for what you have in store for us tomorrow. And, Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.